0: This is NFL.com's Coach's Show Podcast.
1: Forty men together can't lose. 30. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving on that Nobody's caught them. And now
2: we're going. There's a gleam, man. There's a gleam.
0: Welcome to Coach's Show Podcast. Brian Billick here with Steve Mariucci. And on this week's episode, we discuss the struggling 49ers. Have the NFL coaches figured out three options. Bengals head coach Marvin Lewis joins us to break down the team's record setting win against the Packers, plus our thoughts on just how good head coaches impact successes of teams. The Coaches Show podcast starts right now. Mooch, big weekend that you could point out any game as what do you start with, but for me, it was Indy and San Francisco. At home, San Francisco getting shellacked two weeks in a row, but Indianapolis totally dominating that game. Let's talk about it because we were giving Colin Kaepernick big kudos after week one, rightfully so. But have are, are we seeing some issues with Kaepernick or are we seeing teams catching up with what the 49ers are doing?
1: Yeah, Brian, maybe all of the above. And this is the first time that Jim Harbaugh's lost two games in a row. They usually rally. He hasn't lost a lot, but they always win the next game. Now, um, coming off of that, that beatdown in Seattle, You know we all thought that the 49ers would really answer the bell but watching the game boy the Colts defense seemed to really other than one nice long drive for the Niners seemed to really contain that pistol offense and and the power game and and all of that And and the Colts defense really did a good job like the Packers stopped Colin Kaepernick's run game like Seattle stopped the run game so you know Defensive coordinators are bright guys, you know. They're all crazy, but they're bright. And when you get more and more on tape, you start, and then they call different college coaches, right, Brian, and they do research. And they, they've they made it a mission to slow down and stop this pistol stuff, this option football that's a little bit foreign to the league. And all of a sudden, the, the, the 49ers' run game looks pretty pedestrian.
0: Yeah, and whether it's there, whether it's RG3 in Washington, now he's got the injury issues as well whether it's the Chip Kelly stuff, obviously, in mm-hmm. Philadelphia that struggled. You know, uh, Kansas City did a great job with them. We saw how San Diego just dominated the time of possession. Uh, but do you think it, it is as much schematically? You think it's the coaches that have kind of figured out how they want to play these option quarterbacks?
1: You know, I, I think I think it's twofold. It's it's the smart guys taking away what you do best. But it's a, this is a game of personnel. You know that. And, it, and, and who do the – The 49ers have playing for him right now. Look at at the, the passing game, how it's different than it was last year. There's no Michael Crabtree, Mario Manningham, Randy Moss, Delaney Walker, Ted Ginn. And then in this game... They they didn't have Vernon Davis, and he's the fastest guy on the team. So they were playing shorthanded uh, for Colin Kaepernick in the passing game, and then you can load up a safety play a little bit tighter, play a little closer to the line of scrimmage to uh, present some eight-man fronts and stop that run game. So there's a personnel concern over there in San Francisco as well.
0: I think it was interesting because the contrast a lot was made of, obviously, Andrew Luck coming back. And, and facing his former coach and Jim Harbaugh, and they were together in Stanford. But now with Pep Hamilton, the former coordinator mm-hmm. uh, in, in, uh, at Stanford with, and was there, obviously, and understood what Andrew Luck is. Now he's rejoined with him in Indianapolis. They get a Trent Richardson. That mm-hmm. Indianapolis offense looked a little bit more like what we saw Jim Harbaugh do at Stanford than what we're seeing now. You think there's a point where Jim yeah. Harbaugh goes, you know what, that looked pretty good. Let's go back to doing yeah. that stuff.
1: Yeah yeah and, and and that's that Stanford smash mouth thing right. and and all of a sudden, Pep Hamilton has a guy a, a banger in the a running back in Trent Richardson a, they used to have Toby Gerhardt, remember at Stanford, and but this guy's faster, he's big, but he's faster than toby and and I think this is how they want they don't want to be finesse, fast paced all that kind of new new stuff. They want to be old school and play smashmouth football in the run game. Play action pass and really be more balanced. And I think Trent Richardson with Ahmad Bradshaw, boy, really gives them a one-two punch. And now Andrew Luck, who, who we all think is going to be a Hall of Fame guy if he stays healthy, he's not he's not facing too deep coverage all the time in soft zones. And and he's he's facing uh, we're eight man in the box to stop the run game, which is going to be really helpful for Andrew Luck. And they're going to have uh, they're going to have a. Provided Trent Richardson stays healthy, they're going to have a, you know, a, an offense that's equipped to do whatever the heck they want to do.
0: Yeah, I think in San Francisco, when we saw the evolution, of course, they started out with Alex Smith, and they were more of that two tight end, get into a trip's eye, power eye, smash mouth, break out a little bit. And, and then it turned out that Colin Kaepernick, with some of the read option and the gun stuff, that was kind of the changeup. But the other was the base. And it seems like now with the Niners that it flipped a little bit, that maybe the gun and the, and the uh, you know, the the read option stuff, and, and that that became base and the other was the change up. I'd like to see him go back to that original, let's go back to what we were when we started this thing out last year.
1: Yeah, and Colin Kaepernick can do that. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a fast guy. He told me when I, when I interviewed him, I said, who's the fastest quarterback in the league? He said, me. He didn't even hesitate. He's very athletically confident and but he's capable of going back in the pocket and zinging it around if need be we saw that in the first game when he threw for over 400 yards against the Packers but like I said earlier their their weapons are thin and now hopefully they'll get Vernon Davis back and I think they will but they're shorthanded I don't know if they're going to get Michael Crabtree back from that Achilles surgery Uh, boy do they need him because Anquan Bolden came there to be the the ex-receiver, right. Brian, in the West Coast. And now he's playing the feature receiver. Right. But, but you know, he, there are guys like uh, Richard Sherman that can run with him.
0: And I don't see where they can stretch the field or take the top off the defense, I guess, is the common term now. Because you're right, Anquan Bolden's an intermediate guy. And it seems like the defenses, both for the run against the Niners and for the passing game can just kind of creep up and sit on you a little bit. Because I don't see anybody that can really stretch the field for him to get them yeah. to back up.
1: Yeah, that's right. and they And they know that. And they know that. That's why they have to be creative uh, with the play action, with the run option, the, the zone read pistol stuff. And so it's going to be interesting because what they're having a short week, they've got all this chaos going on over here after a couple losses and some other issues. And they've got to go to St. Louis on Thursday night right here on the NFL Network but, uh, and play a team that they didn't beat last year. They didn 't beat the Rams, they tied once and they lost once, so they 've got to find a way in just a couple of days of practice to get the kinks out and i don 't know if uh, if Patrick Willis is going to play he 's got a to Nick too. He came out of that game.
0: yeah, that was the big thing defensively with 49ers obviously with all the Alden Smiths or, uh, yeah Alden Smith stuff that last year you saw when when they were without uh, uh, Alden Smith on the outside, or they had Alden Smith and they had Justin Smith inside, when one of them was missing. It wasn't the same. When Justin Smith was down a little bit, now you take Alden Smith out of the equation and Pat, possibly Patrick Willis. That's, that, that defense takes on a totally different look.
1: No doubt. There's no doubt. And, and um, you know, they got a new free safety in Eric Reed, and I really like him. He's uh, the youngster that's really started off replacing Goldston, doing a nice job. But all of a sudden, you know how teams change. And it's, it, and it's good to have a good coach and a good scheme and good teachers and all that, of course. But, boy, when it's all said and done, it comes down to your personnel. And if you're banged up and if you're missing some important parts, it makes it very difficult to win games consistently.
0: I want to talk about the flip side of that. We talked about already about Trent Richardson and what he can do for Indianapolis. Let's talk about Cleveland, who traded Trent Richardson. That happened after we did our podcast last <laughs> week. And, I, you know, let, let's put ourselves in, in Rob Chesinski's shoes. Now, I, I understand why they did it. They're banking for the future, and they're going to go get, you know, that kid uh, Bridgewater uh, uh, out of Louisville or Hunley at UCLA <laughs> and, and Boyd at uh, Clemson or Mar- Mariotti at, at Oregon. But if I'm a Cleveland Brown fan, I think I cancel my, my direct TV NFL ticket, and I get the college ticket because, obviously, I don't even, even watch the Cleveland Browns anymore. Now, that's not their approach, but how do, you, how do you approach your team? Forget about your fan base. Trading away really, arguably, your best player and say, hey, guys, we're okay. We're going to win this year. Don't worry about
1: it. I know. That's, that's, that's real, and that's a concern. They signed some guys thinking that, hey, uh, you know, we're getting ready to win sooner rather than later, and we're building this team up quickly, and now, all of a sudden, hey, we're looking way down the future and and even drafting next year is not going to help you win exactly next year. That's a, that's another year or two after that. And so, um, and it was interesting too, you know, I I don't know if you heard Mike Holmgren's comments, Mike, you know, was there and Mike was pretty upset about it, uh, trading away their best player. And he said, and Mike said, he said that if he were the coach, he would just, he would say, Hey, you either trade him or fire me or I mean, I'd quit, you know, and he he kind of had a, a very uh, he had a little meltdown, you know. But but after the fact, we heard that that organization thought through this and from top to bottom, meaning ownership, CEO, Joe Banner, uh, Mike Lombardi, Chud, they all were in agreement to make this move. And we don't know the reasons why we don't know if it wasn't a good fit you know, somehow with the Browns and Trent Richardson. We all believe he's a heck of a back. How often does a team have the number one pick in the draft, Andrew Luck, and the number three pick in the draft, Trent Richardson, on the same team two years later? It's impossible. So it was shocking, but maybe they have some good reasons, all right? So hopefully it'll it'll work out for the Browns. Hopefully it'll work out for the Colts. Let's let's just say it's a win-win
0: situation. Yeah, and, and you made the good point that these decisions are organizational decisions. You know, yeah. We've both been in those situations where you may not agree totally with some of the things that go on, but as an organization, <laughs> it's not like Joe Banner independently or Mike Lombardi independently just woke up and said, oh, you know, I'm going to trade our, num- our, our number one player. This isn't Moneyball where Brad Pitt goes into Seymour Hoffman and goes, well, you can't start that guy on first base because I already trade him. That doesn't work <laughs> that way in the NFL, and it is a collective process.
1: Yeah, it is, and it should be, you know, and it's not like trading your seventh-round pick because he's not been playing, you know, where Mike just you know, makes a phone call and does it and tells the coach before practice. But because this is big, this is, uh, you know, their superstar and and, and uh, the guy that they're putting a lot of eggs in one basket with. So uh, how about the Browns coming out and winning that game? In how about shutout? that, yeah. How, yeah. What does he say to the team? Changes and the whole says, dynamic. Um, all right, guys, we, we don't have our starting running back, we're going to go win this game anyway. You know what I mean? And he's got to find a way to say the right things and act like, hey, this is not about the future. This is about now. Let's 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 all, you know, uh, take it upon ourselves to show that we're good enough to win. Every man in this room is good enough to win right now with or without our starting running back. People get hurt all the time and you have to try to win without uh, certain players. So, boy, did the Browns respond or yeah. what?
0: And that, that'll take you light years down. Because you can imagine if they gone on and not played well, then that constant beat down, that, okay, well, I know where mm-hmm. we're going now, and the mm-hmm. players, uh, you know, I did the Giants Carolina game, and you can see a team, and we'll talk about that in a second, the Giants, where once that mentality sets in, boy, that's hard to turn. So they get a week's reprieve anyway. They're going to play the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll see how they do this week. But at least they can rally around that and say, see, there is more here than Trent Richardson, and, and we can do that together. Well, speaking about the Cincinnati Bengals, Marvin Lewis, the head coach of the Bengals, is joining us. Here, after a 14-0 lead, it's been all Green Bay. Bengals in zone! Touchdown! Pass! Picked Two-interception game for Aaron Rodgers.
2: Franklin gets it out, picked up by Nelson, now picked up by Newman. This play is into the end zone. Touchdown, Cincinnati. This
0: crazy game is over. Cincinnati Bengals in week three became the first team in NFL history to have a 14-point lead, then a 16-point deficit, still to come away with the win. And joining us now is head coach Marvin Lewis here on The Coach's Show. Marvin, you know, boy, that was at what point in that game, or how many different points in that game did you think you had at one And then you had it lost.
2: (laughs) Well, Brian, I don't think I I knew we had it won until basically uh, uh, we had the tip ball on fourth down and uh, they had one timeout left and and not enough time to keep us from kneeling on it. But uh, uh, certainly an up and down game where we started off very well with great momentum and then we proceeded to to lose that by turning the football over.
1: Yeah, Marvin, you kept us at the edge of of our seats all the way through and the Packers at the end of that game, are up by three and driving in a four-minute drill. And then they, comp- they complete a pass, all right, third and 13, and they give them a first down. You challenge it. Take us through the decision-making process, why you challenged that, and, and, and how you came to that decision at that point in time.
2: Well, you know, you have a, a designated person upstairs in the, in the coaches' <clears> booth uh, that uh, works with me, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams. And so I always want to talk to him. And uh, he let me know, Coach, you need to challenge this. Uh, he didn't make the line to gain when, when his foot was down and where the ball was. In fact, I thought when they went back and looked at it, I thought they gave him a little further than even <laughs> I thought when I, once I saw the replay. But uh, we were fortunate to stop him on fourth down and, and actually turn that into a turnover.
1: So you have, just for our, our audience, you have a guy up in the box that will help you with all of those calls in any phase, offense, defense, and kicking. And you, is he getting to see that replay soon enough most of the time to say, hey, coach, <laughs> I saw it, and yes, you should do this?
2: Well, you hope that they get to see it most of the time. Uh, you know, They're, they're kind of up to discretion to television, what television shows right away. Uh, if television shows it, then he gets an opportunity to see it. Uh, if they don't show it, then you, you could end up stuck, and, he, and you're not going to get a good enough view of it.
0: Yeah, I'm Did not going. A- to- I'm sorry, go I'm, I'm not going to ask you how many times they've told you, "Oh, coach, this is the way it was," and you get, and you get a look at it, and go, "Wait a minute, no, the thing bounced." No, it, I mean that has to happen too.
2: Well, you know, that's the thing is, uh, obviously, we, we we have to work closely together. And every time I see something that happens in another game. Uh, on Sunday or i 'm going through watching tape, and there 's plays that are challenged and whatever catch, no catch, and so forth, I always want to make sure we we get the TV copy, and he and I look at it and uh, and we see how that was ruled, so he has a great frame of reference of what is you know what plays should be challenged and why
1: you know hey uh, Marvin, go ahead you, How about this Brian because you 've been through this before sometimes they don 't get the replay in time or don 't get a clear view on a replay. Have you ever had to trust a player? that says, Coach, I caught it. I know I was not bobbling it or my feet were in bounds. Did you ever have to trust a guy?
2: Hey, Mooch, which player hasn't made that catch? You know what I mean? <laughs> that's the issue with with the players. They all have always made the catch. They never fumble. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. So, uh, you know, it's hard to trust the player. You, you've really got yeah. to go with with educated eyes.
0: Let's talk about your defense a second, Marvin, and I'm I'm not trying to get you to lose your defensive coordinator, but to me, Mike Zimmer, I'll be one of those guys that when it comes time to looking at head coaches, this guy's been so fantastic. You intercepted Aaron Rodgers twice, even before that big fumble return for the touchdown. Talk a little bit about every coach, obviously, you, you want to coach up turnovers but talk about the specifics of that in terms of team tackling does the first guy go for the strip does the you know first guy should secure the tackle then the next guy come in talk about just the mentality and how you physically teach that
2: well, I think you said the right thing first, Brian, is this was a game that was important that we tackled. And uh, we knew they were going to complete some passes, and we had to tackle the catch. We had to be tight in coverage when we got opportunities and then make plays on the football. And I think that, uh, you know, as you go to try and strip footballs and so forth, you got to make sure you ensure the tackle. And, uh, and, and that's very important. we got to keep working on creating more fumble opportunities as far as our defense because right now we've been stricken by it on the other side of the football right now.
1: Marvin, you've got this young uh, player named Giovanni Bernard, and I. Before we start talking about him,
2: tell me exactly how tall he is. <laughs> really? Well, he tells me, you know, he's 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 taller than Andrew Hawkins. So okay, <laughs> that's well, his measuring stick here on our squad. Well, but uh, because the reason I asked is, uh, he, what do you think? Five, five seven and a half probably. He he, he <laughs> says he'd be five eight and a half, but because uh, you know he's he pushed five, five eight. eight.
1: Because on game day morning Brian I don't know if you saw it Marvin I don't know what you do before games but um, I said I really like this Gio Bernard kid but he's so short he's never seen a parade and so um, is that <laughs> that's
2: probably that's probably a true statement isn't it it's probably pretty pretty <laughs> true but uh, okay he, he'd find a but way to get up on a ladder though
1: he probably would now he, here's a guy that you're trying to incorporate into your offense in the run game he had 50 yards and in the passing game boy he's hard to tackle uh, out there in space talk about how you plan on using him and sharing the load with Ben
2: Jarvis Green Ellis? Well, we really think that you know he uh, is really a, a special player as far as in the open field and elusiveness. Uh, he's he's actually a very good inside runner because he can cut and make people miss. He's very quick to the to the hole. He does a, he has great vision. Um, but you know I, I I I keep cautioning us that we don't want to wear him out. You know we want to keep him and uh, you know keep. Uh, uh, What Ben Jarvis does is so good at running the downhill plays and getting those yards. And if we can get Benny into the second level, we know he can make the first guy miss and he can go for big gains. So we want to continue to work at it. And uh, sometimes it makes it a little bit more difficult. Sometimes we do have some specialty plays uh, for Gio when he's in there. But uh, but, but for the most part, you know, the, the running game and so forth will stay pretty consistent.
0: Marvin, we've got some obviously really great receivers in this league, impact guys with Calvin Johnson, Andre Johnson, and, and Larry Fitzgerald. And But I don't know, for my money, A.J. Green now, he's, if he's not the top of the list, he's got to be in that discussion, isn't it? If you had to say, okay, I get one guy to really anchor my passing game, that big number one, which very few people really have, A.J. Green, for my money, is right there.
2: Yeah, he, you know, I mean, obviously uh, we, we think the world of him, and uh, uh, he does the things, and he, he's getting so much better at some of the little things, his releases and so forth, to stay tight and tighten the angles and every route to come off and make every route look the same. And, uh, you know, he's really a student that way. So you can kind of put the video clips back to back to back and show him this is what you want. You show him when he runs a tight fade and the angle of departure and those kind of things. So uh, he's he's very uh, coachable. He He learns. And uh, he's really doing a great job of recognition. And, and, you know, he's such a team guy and and such a leader uh, for for being somewhat a very quiet personality.
0: Well, Coach, good luck. I know you got Cleveland, a big in-state rivalry there. They're coming off a big win. But we appreciate you taking the time with us. All right, guys. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Marvin. Good job. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, we're talking about, let's talk about the flip side of that uh, from the Cincinnati Bengals and the Green Bay Packers. Something interesting came up, Mooch. And let's talk a little bit about that player-coach dynamic we saw in that game uh, that Aaron Rodgers, after a play uh, on a third and one, and didn't quite go well and got tackled out of bounds. And he came back to Mike McCarthy, and they bird up a little bit. And, you know, we saw Frank Gore go, go after Jim Harbaugh a little bit. We're seeing – let's talk about that, and it's happened to all of us, but let's talk about how, how you handle that and how that kind of stuff happens.
1: Yeah, I want to hear about how it happened to you, Brian.
0: You know, <laughs> just we're, once? We're the, uh, yeah. Just, I had a plethora of play, players coming at me going, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> i like a Lombardi. You know, What's going on around here? Yeah, uh,
1: it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic because, as you know, the sideline is a different planet, and, and the emotions are running very high down there, winning or losing very high. You're in the, you're in the middle of the battlefield. Um, but with Aaron Rodgers, you know how competitive he is and how skilled he is. And, you know, when he, was running, when he was running for his life in a very physical kind of a game, and it wasn't one of his best games. He, hasn't, he threw two interceptions, and he hasn't done that in a couple years. Can you imagine that? Yeah. He hasn't thrown two interceptions in a couple of years since 2010. And so, uh, so there was some frustration right there. Well, he gets tackled out of bounds on third and one. And I don't know. I didn't talk to Mike. I don't know if you did. But my guess, I'm just uh, off the top of my head thinking Mike probably said, throw the ball away so you don't get crushed. And Aaron's probably saying, I'm trying to make a first down here, you know, and and so they both mean well. They're both looking out for each other. But sometimes the timing is just (laughs) a little off and it can blow up real fast, you know, but then it then it calms down after a little bit. But those those are the things that happen. Uh, in the course of a game.
0: And it's rare with the head coach, other than typically we see it all the time where a player will maybe go after a position coach or maybe mm-hmm. a coordinator. Very rare they go after the head coach. But in this instance, that it's all in one. It, it, that is his coach. That is the play yeah. caller. That is yeah. He happens to be the head coach. And they've got that kind of relationship. And afterwards, they made it very clear, hey, it's, it's no big deal. We're both very competitive. And they moved on very well. Like I said, we sure. saw... Uh, Frank Gore get after Jim Harbaugh a little bit, and we've both been in that situation. I think, and you tell me what you think of this, Mooch, I think, and you and I got out of this a little bit before this explosion of of, uh, tweets and texting and that type of thing, and we see it all the time now, virtually, particularly all the new coaches. They're they're knee-deep in this social media. They interact with their players on a regular basis by texting and doing that type of thing. Which is good because it means it's interactive, and they're partners. You give a guy $10, $15 million, I know you're the coach and I'm the player, but we're partners, you give me that much money. And so that partnership creates a different kind of relationship. The fact that you are texting me and we communicate that way changes the relationship. Do you think we see a little bit more of it because the players are emboldened a little bit, going, hey, yeah, we're we're tight this way, so you don't mind if I get up in your face a little bit? Yeah,
1: and it drives me nuts. (laughs) I I don't like it, I'm not comfortable with it. Whatever happened, Brian, you know, we're kind of old school. You know, we have our ARP card. And and uh, whatever happened to... I wish you were Kate, kidding about that, but we do. Yeah. And, hey, if you have an issue, if there's anything you want to talk about, any problems, anything personal, anything at home, my door is always open. We'll sit down and we'll talk about it, man to man. And that's the kind of relationships that I want to have with my players. Well, now, geez, you know, it, it, guys are tweeting about what the conversation was in the locker room or, or behind closed doors. It's all, and they have a million followers. And so that would drive me nuts, and I would hate to try to monitor it, but you kind of have to. Somebody has to. And, 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 and you know that some things are better left unsaid. Mm-hmm. And even though, even though they are the truth sometimes, sometimes you got to keep things in-house and, and between team and coaches and players and each other. But so much of the social media just expands all of that and it puts it out there, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and, and, and in terms of the game itself, you know, that's the drama of it. We learn this in TV, right? That when we're doing a TV game, and, the, and you just have to know that we're doing a game, and the guy, the opposing team, lines up to kick a field goal to win the game, and he makes it. Where's, where do we shoot next? the face of the losing coach, not the winning coach. We go right to the right because that's where yeah. the drama is. That's what yeah. we're looking for. And I don't know that there's anything you can do about it other than try to keep your head in those pressurized situations and, and as long as you can handle it afterwards and not burr up. Uh, there's a, you know We're looking at some 0-3 teams now to where we're going to see some more of this. Now, maybe not yeah. like like I said, I had the New York Giant game and you're not going to challenge Tom Coughlin, but in a place like Tampa Bay and Greg Schiano. Who struggled the second half of the season? Total emotional change in what he wants to do with this club from what was before with Raheem Morris. Now they're struggling a little bit earlier. A little bit of chirping going on. That's a tougher dynamic now when you're in that. Mike McCarthy's fine. He, not, he and Aaron Rodgers—they're not going anywhere. But when you have one of these coaches like a Greg Schiano that maybe you know a little bit more tentative, that's where it really becomes a tough situation.
1: You know, I look at these coaching changes, and as you know. What do we average, seven or eight yep. new coaches every year, okay? Yep. Hey, we just keep churning it up, trying to find the next Lombardi. And the people who hire, okay, the people who make those decisions, A, to hire Raheem Morris, and you and I both know Raheem. He's a good guy. He's a good coach. Um, players coach, whatever that means. And and evidently they felt that it was maybe too loose of a ship. I don't know. So they went totally opposite and they hired, after researching this, they hired a guy Greg Sciano that is old school, tough guy, hard nose approach, completely opposite end of the spectrum. They knew what they were getting into. And that's the decision the club made. We want, we want to go from one way of doing things to the completely the opposite. Well, you know, unless you win, unless you win big and consistently, you're always going to say, well, we don't like this approach. You know, the players are, are not aren't gonna aren't gonna go for it if you're you own three or if you're four and twelve at the end of the year. They're just not. They want to they want they want somebody that's gonna help them win, regardless of the approach. But boy, if it's losing, that 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 approach, that hard line approach wears thin.
0: Well, and you could see it last year with a team like Tampa Bay that when when Coach Ciano came in and there was definitely a different mentality and they yep. were winning early. Remember, I think they started out six and two, something along those lines.
1: Yeah, I remember Brian, Remember, and then the, what, what really put him in the forefront was when his guys, right. um, when, when Tom Coughlin's team was kneeling on the ball, they, were, they went down on those linemen, and it was like we we're playing to the very end, you know? And so that, that's kind of sent a message to the rest of the league that I'm not taking any crap from anybody, I'm just going to do what I do. And that's what kind of started it, in my mind.
0: Yeah, and you can do that when you're 6-2. and two. You know, you can burrow up and go all Jersey Shore on the league and your players and whatever. <laughs> sure. But then if you start to lose and then now you're starting out the way they're now <clears throat> 0-3, that is a different message. I saw it last week. I had the Carolina Panthers at home, an, an 0-2 with Ron Rivera, you know, and all the pressures. We've been there. We know what kind of pressures. And on the other side, an 0-2 New York Giant team with Tom Coughlin under a different circumstance. And, and you could just tell. When I looked at the bios, I, I, you could tell there's a difference here because I look at Tom Coughlin's bio, 163 wins. I look at Ron Rivera's bio, 13 wins. So it doesn't take long to look at that and go, okay, who's going to feel the most pressure here? Uh, but And then dealing with that pressure and dealing with their team, and now that, that the, the, the Giants go 0-3, let's talk about a couple of those 0-3 teams with obviously well-established coaches, the New York Giants and the Washington Redskins. Those teams are in a world of hurt right now. That Giant team, I don't know... I don't know. We've been there before, Mooch, where you've you got to find something to hang your hat on. If I'm a Tom Coughlin uh, or a Mike Shanahan, and having been there, okay, what, I'd sit with my coach and say, okay, what is, it, what is it we can find about this team that we know is good, that we can lean on, we can hang our hat on? That's got to be our core, and we go from there. I don't know what that is with that New York Giant team right now. They, yeah. they didn't do anything well.
1: You're talking about two coaches, Shanahan and Coughlin, who both have won a couple of super bowls yes. great credibility and great winning percentage and all of that maybe hall of famers right and so i'm going to i'm going to enjoy watching them because i know they right. will find a way to come out of it you you know whether that's improve the defense, change the scheme, get RG3 healthy. Or with Tom Coughlin, you know, let's find a way to pass protect a little bit better. Eli got sacked seven times. He Mm -hmm. was under duress the whole game. And so, but I I, I just think that they're going to find a way with a real thorough self-scout. What do we do well? What do we need to improve? And there are a lot of areas. But let's try to fix some things and improve some things. And so that's their challenge. And I have all the confidence in the world that they'll – They'll get some of that fixed. Um, They've both made playoffs having a little bit better than average seasons, regular seasons, but finished strong uh, because of good quarterback performance in the playoffs. So uh, I don't know if either team will make the playoff, uh, but but I think both coaches will find a way to improve their teams, even though right now, boy, it looks like a long shot.
0: One of the additional difficulties, and I talked to Coach Coughlin about this in our production meetings, was I remember – Years ago when Mike Shanahan had a a struggling uh, uh, Denver Bronco team and uncharacteristic for them late in the season, they started to go to padded practices because they needed to change the physicality of it. Coach Coughlin talked about, we need to change the physicality of this team. We're not playing like we're used to with the the New York Giants. But now with the new rules, you can't do that. How do you go about changing? If you're a team that maybe needs that, (coughs) that aren't carrying their pads well, aren't fundamentally sound, with the new rules... You you can't even do that.
1: Yeah, you, uh, you're restricted a little bit. And, and with the, the new way of having training camp and a practice week with, with uh, limited pads, um, there's very little variety around the league. Everybody's doing it pretty much the same way because you're only given so – it's almost, I don't want to say like college where you get a 20-hour work week right. for practice and meetings, but you are limited as to how creative you want to be or how long you want to be on that field or how, how long you want to meet. And so let's find out. But I, I just think that they're going to find a way to, f- to fix some things and win some games maybe that we don't expect them to uh, because they're very experienced and their coaching staffs have been together now for a little bit. And, so, and they both have good quarterbacks. It's <laughs> yeah. not like they have a rookie quarterback, right? right? They have good winning quarterbacks.
0: Let, let's let's turn, flip this to a positive side because we're talking about the effect that a head coach can have on its team, uh, all but no 0-3 team. Uh, and the caliber of a Tom Coughlin and Mike Shanahan. Let's flip it. I'm writing a a piece for NFL.com, and and we talk about you can see the positive effects of the right head coach in the right job, Andy Reid, and what's going on in Kansas (laughs) City, the returning of Sean Payton to uh, New Orleans, obviously what Mark Trestman has meant to that team, but all in a bit different way. (laughs) I mean, Andy – to me, Andy Reid was, and they did a brilliant job in hiring Andy Reid because that's exactly what they had needed. They'd done the coordinator thing, and and you know the GM was Scott Pioli, and that was the he was the one totally in charge. They brought in a guy now, and the best thing they've done is no one has any doubt in their mind who's in charge in Kansas City. It's Andy Reid, and that's just what that team needed.
1: <clears throat> Absolutely, and and when we had their game on Thursday night, the Chiefs at the Eagles, where he coached for 14 years like two of our chats were, well, how will Andy Reid be received by these Philadelphia fans? Brian, they gave him the most awesome standing ovation when he walked into yeah. that stadium yeah, with that his great. team. It was, it was unbelievable. And then, of course, Donovan at a halftime got his jersey retired. It was really something. But was, what was more impressive was how dominating the Kansas City Chiefs were yeah. in a short week. Preparing for an unusual offense with Chip Kelly's fast pace thing. And you know what? Andy's got a good football team there. And, and the other thing is, I think it's good for him not to have all that responsibility and personnel right now. Where it fell on his shoulders in Philly, now he has John Dorsey mm-hmm. to take some of that load off of him. And John Dorsey's really good. He comes from the Ron Wolf tree. And, and I, I like that marriage. And this team is good. They're they're really good on defense, and on offense, you know Jamal Charles and they they've got some pieces in place to make a make a run in the playoffs. And I just said playoffs, and that was a two and fourteen
0: team yeah. last year. And Sean Sean Payton comes back to New Orleans, where you knew if they were still going to be good offensively, but basically with the same personnel defensively, where they were last in the league in total defense, last league in scoring defense. They're now in the top five in both. And obviously Rob Ryan's a good coach. So at the bottom. You know, nothing new you and I wouldn't agree with, but coaching does make a difference, and it's the right skill set with the right team. That's the thing that matches up that makes a difference. Let me finish up real quick. That We were both impressed with the New England Patriots. You, did, uh, you, you had a conversation with Tom Brady in the, after the one game, his frustration. To me, it looks like they, they changed the offense a little bit. It seems like they simplified a little bit for this new group of receivers. Well, that's what
1: good coaches will do to accommodate who's playing. And, you know, and we saw that game – on Thursday night with the Patriots and the Jets in the rain. And it was a sloppy game all the way around. Lightning was going off. We kept playing. It was crazy. And, and, and yet we saw Tom frustrated on the sidelines because the passing game was in shambles. Why? Because a lot of moving parts are gone. You know, you don't have the two tight ends, and you don't have receivers from last year. And Wes Welker's over there playing with the other Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's playing with these young receivers. Well, they had 10 days to prepare for their game against Tampa. And I'll be darned if, if Aaron Dobson, the rookie, doesn't have seven catches and Kendrell Tompkins, the other rookie who was undrafted, has two touchdowns, you know, and, and, and Tom, you know, he said, I'm frustrated and I, and I should be because it, the passing game isn't what he's been used to with all these new guys. And, and he just keeps working. He's helping those guys grow up. And you know what? They were very productive against a good uh, Tampa defense.
0: Yeah, and the fact that they're 3-0 and now, you know, this. We, well, no big deal. New England's 3-0. and What did you expect? Well, we didn't expect that. Yeah. And they're just going to get better and better. And, and you're right, that the effects of coaching, uh, Josh McDaniel and certainly Bill Belichick, I think they did do a good job of going, okay, just like we said, okay, what are we? What, what are we good at? How do we change this frustration? And even if, it, even if it's a placebo, <laughs> even if you give the players and it's just bull. If it works, they can, oh, okay, now we're okay. Yeah, coach found it. That's right. This thing works. And it's amazing how that can take off. Final thing I want to talk about is I'm, I'm doing the game in Carolina. I'm catching my plane after the game to come out here to L.A. And I'm looking up at the monitor, form of plane goes. And I don't, I, there's no sound, and I can't see the score. And I see the Lions, who I have this week. I have the Lions at Chicago. So I see Jim Schwartz after the game, take his headset, flail down. I go, oh, darn, the Lions lost. Geez, you know the Redskins must have, <laughs> and that was the guy who won the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, he won it, and it was a close game, and it was like, wow, you know. And 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 you and I both know Jim, and he's a feisty guy from Georgetown, right? And he's uh, um, he's feeling some pressure, I think, you know. He wants to get that team turned around, consistently play well, and you know the pundits, I don't know whoever they are you know, talking about, you know, is this is this a do-or-die season for him and all of that, and I, I don't know. I just took it like he just was, like, fired up that they won the game and I'm still here and I'm still the coach, and we're going to be good. And, and uh, you know, he's trying to create a tough team there, and, uh, you know, he's got some real good parts to it with Matthew Stafford and Megatron, but... Uh, it's going to be fun
0: to, you need to talk to him about that when
1: you enter you know, the production him, meeting I, I what's with what the headset throwing on a win I,
0: I think it underlines why you and i are doing this instead of coaching cuz the lows are so lows and the highs are just kind of okay i'm going to throw this this
1: microphone on the floor right <laughs> after good. we're done just cuz you're frustrated with it
0: and that's going to wrap it up for this week's coach's show podcast be sure to check us out and subscribe to iTunes thanks for listening everybody